0: Welcome back to the Mason Jar Podcast. I'm Karen Kern, the host of this eight episode series called Education is a Life Creating Purposeful Culture in Your Home. This second episode is on faith, how it affects the culture in our homes. And my guest today is Cindy McAllister. Hello, Cindy. Hello, Karen. It's a delight to be with you today. Oh, it's so great to to be with you. I Just just for a little context, I got to know Cindy um, because she is an apprentice, a Circe Apprentice. And so for a few years now, um, as I've helped host events or just been around the apprenticeship going on, I've got to know Cindy. And she has become a very dear and sweet friend. And we just share a lot in common. And I think because we're at the same place in life and just have some of the same struggles and issues. And it's just been a blessing, such a blessing to get to know you better and better as the years and months have gone on. And um, Cindy, you are a homeschooling mother of three grown children, right? You want to introduce your kids to us? Sure. I have three grandchildren. My oldest, uh, Sarah, is married. Her husband is an engineer, and she lives a mile and a half from my driveway, which is wonderful. Um, They live here in South Carolina. Our oldest son, Jesse, is married and lives in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, He is in his last semester of graduate school, and we are very excited for him. He has a new... um, job uh, working at a counseling center, which I believe is uh, well-suited to his giftings. And then our youngest, Ian, is a United States Marine. And he, um, as of yesterday, is stationed at Quantico in Virginia. Oh, that's much closer than South Korea. Oh, very nice. Very nice. (laughs) And um, and my husband and I have been married for almost 34 years, uh, and he is a pastor. Wait, when? What's your date? What's your um, date? July 27th. Oh, we're June 3rd. Oh, but wait, no, we're 35 years this year. Are you? Are we 35? Yes. Wait, Cause maybe I going, am too. Wait, we, we're <laughs> married in 1984. So that means okay. 19. Yes, it's 35 years this June. <laughs> yes, we are a year behind June. you. Go by. <laughs> they do. It's hard to keep up with. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. Right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so tell us more about Carl. He's a pastor. He is. He's. Uh, we've. He's been in ministry since we have known each other. And um, we have been at this church here. He's at a Presbyterian church here in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and we've been here for almost 16 years, I believe. So um, we have been in the he has been a pastor since the day we were married. And you have been a pastor's wife. And I have been a pastor's yes, wife. With all right. of the ups and downs of that, I'm sure. Yes, yeah, so blessings. Many blessings. Many, that is true. Yeah. And uh, many in disguise which yeah. we might get a chance to talk about at the yes end. <laughs> yes i hope so well i'm just going to recap for a moment what we talked about last week and how that feeds into this week so last week was our first episode and i talked with heidi white and emily hill and we just introduced the idea of culture in our family we talked a little bit about what culture is how culture arises from the things that we love the things that we even worship and how it ex- it just kind of expresses itself um and and made the wonderful point that it is it is purposeful, but it's also very subconscious. And so we're going to talk about both those th- ideas today in relation to faith. And we also talked about how uh, every family will be different in their culture, and that's okay. And, and many of the things that we choose to um, identify our families with or, you know, um, be characterized by are things that are um, just the, get related to the giftings we have or the resources that we have and we're all going to be different. And yet there are other things in our family's culture that should be very similar if we're all um, Christians and wanting to live a life of faith. And so some of these, sometimes we have to ask ourselves, uh, is our family's culture really what we want it to be? And and it's a good idea, as Emily even said, that she asks, she asks her family, who are we? And what a great idea to just ask um, your children and your husband as you sit around and say, who are we and how are we different from other families and, and, and a great exercise. And so that's kind of where we left it, um, last week. And, and then we, we really finished with the idea that children are images of God and to be nurtured and that we want to create a culture, um, purposefully. And it also comes subconsciously and it needs to be guarded. And we ended up, we, we finished on the idea that sometimes we need to repent and repent as a family or repent as parents because we want to be authentic. And so that kind of leads me into the, the um, idea today that how is, how is our faith, how does that affect the culture in our family? And so um, first of all, I want to ask you, um, if you are encouraging a young family, um, how, do you, how would you encourage them to purposefully Um, establish a culture of faith in their home? I think it is um, really helpful if first you really um, think about where you came from. And I loved Emily's thoughts about how it is individual to each family. And we each have a culture that we came out of. And then we Join with their husbands to create our own family culture, and so listening to that, I don't think I was a very good listener in the beginning. I was very, um, I was very determined to do it my way and to do it a new way instead of really listening to where I came from. I came from a very rich um, background of music and story, and um, so music was a part of my life um, from a very young age, the hymns of the faith. My grandparents played multiple instruments. Um, They taught us to play um, just by uh, sitting us next to them on the piano bench or letting us hold uh, the bow of their fiddle. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just a, a part of the fabric of our home. And so music naturally flowed into the home that my husband and I created Um, and my home was also very much an oral tradition. My grandparents told stories. They um, had poems memorized. Many of their poems were ballad stories and they had those memorized. They um, were from a very rural area um, where uh, they did not go to school after eighth grade and uh, so um, but they were very educated self-educated and so these stories um, were a part of our natural routine and music was a part of our natural routine and um, my husband's side of the family was very different. Uh, but uh, very educated um, as far as uh, degrees were concerned. My um, father-in-law was, had his PhD in philosophy and uh, my mother-in-law also had her degrees and but still had very special traditions that I observed when I was in their home. So I tried to bring those into and those traditions of faith into my own home. My mother in law had a uh, loaf of bread um, or a little, in fact, it's still sitting on my table. She gave it to us with the Bible verses inside. And oh, I one remember of those, my grandparents had those, yeah. So that was set in front of the person that was going to be called upon to read the verse for that day. Or sometimes she would handpick the verses and she would set them in front Mm -hmm. of the grandchild or the child that was going to read for that meal and... So those are things that we um, brought into our home as well. Um, so we wanted those stories. We wanted our parents' stories. We wanted their grandparents' stories to be a part of their lives. So one of the traditions that really instilled faith into some of our celebrations was um, the act of thankfulness, um, not just at Thanksgiving, but also at other times we sat down at the meal together. But one of the things we did at Thanksgiving uh, or that we continue to do at Thanksgiving is everyone gets a colorful paper leaf at their place setting in which they write something that they are thankful for, um, from that year. And then at Christmas, we take, um, very brightly colored pieces, strips of paper. We put them around um, the table and the Guests at our home, which could be family and many of them are friends um, at holidays as well, they write down what they are thankful for and we put it in an ornament that we actually hang on the tree and we um, put the year's uh, date on it. So it gives our children uh, a chance to hear God's stories in each person's life that sits around our table, which um, is a wonderful heritage of faith that they can glean from Uh, the last five years of my dear father-in-law's life, he told the same story. Every time we sat down at the table and much to uh, Nana's uh, distress, she said, now, Pop, you can't tell the same story, but I am so glad that he did, even in his forgetfulness or even in his repetitive thanksgiving, um, he told the story of how they met and how God's providence brought them together. Um, And my children heard it multiple times in those last few years of their life, and they still remember that story. Story, um, and they call it the elevator story because um, the elevator door opened and there she was. And at that point, every time my father-in-law would would weep because in thankfulness to God for God's graciousness to him and bringing him his wife. And so those stories are of faith that those dear to them, close to them. Um, they needed to hear those. They needed to see how um, their grandparents, their parents experience God um, in daily life. So those were real important to them. Um, the other traditions, you know, of music, you know, it's just a great way to memorize things. And it makes memorizing scripture fun and so all of the verses that we memorized were usually to song and usually them singing catechism was memorized through songs Uh, and we have fun memories of on long trips uh, putting those cds or back in the day cassette tapes uh, into the player and uh, learning those together um Uh, real special memories of listening to story and listening to music and songs of faith and um, bedtime routines. I think it's important to think about the normal times that you're already together and you're gathering. Right. Uh, You know, no child misses a meal, right? So they're always there. And those are the times when the real rich conversations of faith can take place. Um, bedtime routine, you know, those stories when they're really little with the a lot of the onomatopoeia, right? So um, where they are, they can experience the Bible story um, and, you know, having appropriate expectations, Uh, when they're young and their hands need to be busy, um, having coloring books available or blocks. We never expected them to be still when we were talking if they were, if they needed to move. Um, and so many of the times that we shared reading the Psalms or Proverbs together, they had colors or crayons or Legos out in front of them, um, building the story or drawing the story. Um, we didn't expect um, them To be still when they were too young, but as I grew, you know teens they have a different schedule, right? You may um, have the conversations in the morning with little ones or at bedtime, but with uh, with teens they uh, their routine changes, and prime time for them is much later in the evening yeah, sure is. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to be um, available for those conversations to happen just when they happen, just when they are. Uh, you know, whatever is on their mind and they're ready to talk about it. You have to be ready to do that. And we also found that the circle needed to be a little bit larger for our teens. What need, do you mean uh, the circle? That we need to invite other people into their lives, um, other adults that um, trusted adults that we could connect them with and, um, that they need, the, I think the need seems greater for empathy at that point. Also, it's not just living adults, but maybe those um, saints, uh, martyrs, that we can connect them with, the real people. Uh, my oldest son, Jesse, loved the story of Chet Bitterman. Um, the book is called, uh, Called to Die. And uh, he's a modern-day martyr. Um, he was martyred in 1981. And as we, I did not plan for this, but as we were reading the book, my son really connected with him. He had struggles with learning a language. He was a missionary with Wycliffe, and he had struggles in school. And my son could really identify with that in the perseverance aspect. Um, So he experienced empathy through the story of uh, Chet Bitterman. My uh, daughter loved Amy Carmichael and Elizabeth Prentice and... Mm -hmm reading, stepping heavenward in comfortable troubles. Um, also, uh, Hannah Hernard's hinds feet on high oh, yes. places. Yeah. Yes. What about Elizabeth Elliot? Did, did? Oh, yes. See, I, uh, Jim Elliott and, you know, the- yes. Uh, in fact, I gave her, um, a book by Elizabeth Elliot when she got married. Um, uh, that someone gave to me. Actually, oh, I know that. Book. Actually, What's Elizabeth gave it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have it on my shelf anymore. I can't remember. Um, but I, I gave it to Sarah um, because Elizabeth gave it to me. Uh, she was visiting one of our. Churches where we, Mm -hmm. Carl was a pastor, and she spoke and gave me that book. That is that uh, is awesome. That's beautiful. I was a newlywed at the time, and I can't. I had that book too. And you think I can remember the name? Somebody out there is saying it right now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We we grandmas we can't remember the name of the book. No, no. So I gave it to her, passed it on to her when she got married. But these are, you know, these were young women. Or told a story of what it was like, you know, to be a young woman, and she just identified with them so well. And, it, and let her, me be a woman, is that it? Yes, let me be a woman, be yeah. woman. that's correct. Yes, that's it, <laughs> that's right. Um, so, uh, that empathy, you know, to connect with someone, our youngest loved uh, Dangerous Journey, which was, oh, a yeah, we had that, too. yeah. Of, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's sure. Progress, uh, he liked everything knights and swords, so uh, that was one of his favorites. You know, just real being able right. to connect with a, a human being and being inspired, uh, human beings that made mistakes, had weaknesses, mm-hmm. um, and yet responded with virtue, uh, that experienced God's grace in the middle, midst of struggles. Um that's real important for a teen uh, to connect with someone of faith, whether it's someone from the past in a book or whether um, it is with another trusted adult or family member. It's real important to hear um, what those practical struggles are like. Um, being able to connect right there, you know, praying for specific people. Prayer was another way that we connected Um with God, and also connected with people around the world. I can remember, you know, recalibrating about 10 years into our homeschooling. And we had just begun high school with our oldest, and you start to feel the panic and the change of schedule and the higher demands as a homeschool mom. And I felt a real need to recalibrate and to come together. Um, it was during those teen years where morning didn't work too well. So our morning time became became afternoon time, <laughs> and it usually happened after lunch. Uh, And it consisted of several things, and prayer was one of those things. And that year, we were praying for people around the world, and we knelt down together on our den floor, and we were praying for um, different Native American tribes. Wow. And it was just part of what we were doing that year. And were um, you studying them at the time? We were. We yeah. were, were studying American history and American culture. And so we uh, started praying through the different tribes in our country. And as we were reading about the tribe, as we were praying, at the end of the prayer, my oldest son, I believe it was my oldest son, I can't remember. But we were all three there, all four of us were there. And um, he looked up and he goes we need we need to help, we need to do something we don 't need to just pray, so you moved from this this truth about um, the need, and then this this um, young boy he was thirteen, I think at the time, maybe twelve. He said, we need to do something. So he went to the elders of our church and said, I believe this is what we should do. And as a result, our church went on a mission trip to um, a Native American tribe in Red Lake, Minnesota. Um, Two weeks after our church made the decision to go there, um, a terrible shooting occurred on the reservation in the school. I don't know if you remember that. That That's back in 2004. 2003 I can't remember exactly the year and it that made a huge impact on my children because not only were they were hearing God's voice for them for themselves in that prayer time wow. and it led to that missions trip that our church went on, so giving them opportunities you know I listened I could have I could have blown that off you know right. you could have said, um, oh, we, yeah, that would be great, but we can't do that. Yeah. Right. But I just felt, okay, we need to, I needed to act on what God was doing through my son, my kids, all of my kids at that point in time, and, uh, and take that, encourage them to take that to the elders of our church. And so that was life changing, you know, that they were learning to hear God's voice and to respond to God's voice on their own Um And, you know, listening to God in everyday transitions. I mean, like you said, or like Emily said last time, that um, each of our homes is very different. And me as a mom, my husband, learning to listen to what what does faith look like in our home? How do we express it in our home? And um, I gave my husband a book. I think it was called... Making a Modern Day Night, I'm not sure if that's the name, exact name of the book, but um, he read it and he goes, this is transformative, what it was really being intentional with your sons. But he says, I think I want to be this intentional with Sarah as well. So for their 16th birthdays, we did something incredibly (laughs) countercultural, that uh, most um, 16th birthday parties would not consist of this. But because of um, reading that book, my husband said, I think we need to do this when our kids turn 16. We need to reaffirm God's call in their life uh, when they are teens. And so instead of Inviting a lot of teenagers (laughs) to their party, um, which they were welcome to invite friends. We invited also key adults from their life grandparents, adults in the church, um, youth workers, um, people that were directly involved with them. We invited their grandparents. Um, If they could not physically come, we invited them to write letters to them. And they wrote letters of um, blessing and prayer, and encouragement uh, to speak uh, into their lives what they saw God doing, what they saw their gifts to be, um, and encourage them in their calling. Uh, You know, uh, one of the quotes from Susan Schaefer McCauley's book, For the Children's Sake, um, she says uh, on page 101, there are many ways of applying um, Christianity what is true to the total reality. We don't have to make every day a sort of Sunday school lesson to achieve this, but we can weave things in um, to the daily rhythms of our own family's life, the weekly rhythms, the yearly celebrations uh, that speak to faith. Um, our youngest son, when he was eight, we took a treasure chest And uh, we gave him his first Bible, real Bible, and we buried it in that treasure chest in the yard. And we drew a treasure map and his friends, he and his friends took the clues and they had to find where the treasure chest was buried. We wanted him to anticipate and to treasure God's word. Like it was a treasure that he had to search for. And so we communicate that in a really fun way for eight-year-old boys to go and um, and find this treasure chest in the yard. Um, so little things like that, I think, communicate to children the value of God's truth, the importance of God's call in their life. Um, and that how easily they can be weaved in to what we do every day. Um, My husband, he's so good at this. He lives a life of thankfulness. Um, Many, you know, even when we're on vacation, you know, we start the day with prayer. We get in the car to go on a trip. He would start with prayer. And at the end of the day, he was very mindful to list the things that he saw God do or the surprises that we saw. He was so good and still is so good at looking for what God is doing, the things, the unexpected things, and um, calling them to our attention as a family. Uh, And none of this was seamless. You know, Um, I can remember when, uh, some days on those afternoons when i would call them down to have our afternoon time um it would be like world war 3 <laughs> <laughs> i think that's going to be encouraging to some moms listening you know it's yeah. like okay you've been getting along all morning but when i call you down for prayer and bible reading it's you know uh, all uh chaos breaks, breaks loose in our home and there's bickering and fighting and mm-hmm. so there's um always times that we have where we have to recalculate we have to recalibrate um um everything is uniquely happening um within the context of the family you know i um there are we it's like iron sharpens iron right we rub against each other yeah Is the perfect place for faith to become authentic and to be authentic because we are, um, we are sharpening one another. Yeah. So, and I well, and I I don't, I don't want us to, I don't want to um, give the impression that that, you know, looking back, it was all, it was all perfect. You know, everything worked according to plan and um, that it, that it's a battle that's hard. There are hard days. And, you know, sometimes we can look back as, as grandmothers now, and it's a little bit rose colored, but there were, there were good days. There were hard days. There were great moments. And so you've given some really great um per ways in which you and in your family were per, purposeful to promote your faith with your children in your home and I love these stories and thankfulness the bedtime routines I love what you said you 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 look for those times in the day when everybody's together and your very practical ideas about you know the Bible treasure hunt and your 16th birthday parties and your Christmas and um, Thanksgiving ideas those are just I think those are. Wonderful ideas that people can take and maybe make their own in some way and um and I also want to talk about how how our faith is expressed subconsciously or unconsciously um, where you know where where well, how do we make sure that we're really authentic? Because um, mm-hmm. you know, I you read on that page one hundred and one. Well, it follows mm-hmm. up with um, we don't have to make every day a sort of Sunday school lesson to achieve this. Talking mm-hmm. about um, applying Christianity, there are several dangers in that sort of approach. Too much pious talk, talk, talk. Too many mm. quote holy moments. Expecting continual religious experiences. Not letting children quote be. Not letting them wonder, puzzle, and ask. And so that raises a couple questions in my mind for you. One is, um, and and I, I'm hoping we can get to both of these things. How do we express our faith, or how is it caught rather than taught? And and in, the, in another place in this wonderful book for the children's sake, she talks about little holy hedges, and that that's not what we want either. Um, so let's first of all talk about how how is our how do we express our faith so that it is caught and so that our children see that it is authentic, that it isn't just something that mom contrives for a certain mm-hmm. time of day, or that we all go to church on Sunday, but the rest of the week, you know, or something. Yeah. How Talk a little bit about that. Um, I want to step back just a moment. Um, you brought something to mind. You know, I talked about how we had to be ready whenever our teens need to speak about uh, those things that are important to them. It usually comes very late in the evening. Um, and I went through a very difficult period, health wise, in my life uh, at the very time when I needed to have the most energy. I don't know why that happens. <laughs> why when um when you need to have the most stamina you seem to have the least and i believe that is part of god's humbling in our lives where we really need to rely on him but it was that point that i could pass the baton to my husband um i had a terrible time with anemia and most uh most days I didn't last past nine o'clock, and some days I um, was, it was just such a necessity for me to get that youngest one in the bed by eight because physically I had nothing left. Um, And a lot of moms that are listening may be experiencing that. And to be able to know that you can pass that baton, that there's a time um, that we need to come to the end of ourselves um, so that we do uh, rely and rest on God. Um, Homeschooling is a marathon, Uh, it is not a sprint. uh, it is discipleship. It's m- much more modeling than it is formal teaching. Um, I love those words that we need to. S- my my aunt used to say, "You need to stop talking now." <laughs> <laughs> Such wise words. Yeah, um, and sometimes as mothers, that's true, right? Yes, you know? it is. Uh, the the there. You know, we we're looking for formulas uh, to in- ensure success and prevent disaster. Um, When in fact, adversity is really a part of God's loving plan, both for us to shape us as well as our children. And the journey um, is one that continues to bring me to my knees, even as uh, I am a mother of adult children and a grandmother. Um, It is the perfect fertile ground, this thing that we do, parenting and homeschooling, um, for growth. it's in this atmosphere you know of adversity that God has softened the ground of my heart to pull out weeds of control mm-hmm. because that's what I wanted to do um, even when I said I didn't <laughs> um, to remove boulders of fear um, that just seemed to take root in my heart and prune out the dead branches of self-righteousness. My children had a front row seat to this lesson on gardening, straight from John 15. Uh, he, He is the vine dresser, and that is a very comforting thing, that I can rest and let him work in my life. Let him pull out the weeds, let him remove the boulders, let him trim the dead branches um, and seeing this continued transformation in the garden of my heart, from the winter deadness of the mistakes that I made, um, to the need for repentance, um, to the summer fruitfulness of forgiveness and restoration in my own life, that really gives our children hope for their own lives, um, we do truly need to count a joy when we encounter those various trials because it's in that authentic path um, of trial that the testing of my faith as the mom takes place and produces patience and that patience will have its perfect work so that I can be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, um, they need to see that. I thought I was doing this well. Okay. So, <laughs> and Carl thought he was doing it well. In fact, I, I'm sure Carl did a better job of it than I did. And we thought we were doing pretty well until we asked our kids. What
1: and did you ask them?
0: We asked, well, actually, I think they volunteered the information <laughs> before we asked. <laughs> um, and they really, they said, we, we felt like we had to be perfect. Ah. Uh. And is, what is that is that because they were they were pastor's children? I don't know. I don't I I think that was more our fault um than it was just the fact that they were pastor's kids. So, you know, th- even that though we thought we were doing the modeling um, we I think the conversation we needed to ask them when we were you know when they were younger and i think as parents sometimes we're afraid to do that what, what exactly le- did you need to ask them whether, Like, i think i them? would say um how do you think we're doing as parents yeah oh you know do we say that we're sorry like we need to um do we apologize Those like are we a good need question. to do do we um exa- exemplify repentance like we need to um we need to be willing to ask the hard questions um of our kids, especially when they're teens, especially when they get to that point where, um, they are seeing your faults, you know, when you're younger, when they're younger, they don't notice it as much. Um, but apologi- apologizing to our children. Um, I don't think I did that enough. Um, and I don't think I asked them the hard questions enough. I think I was afraid. Um, Fear is paralyzing. It is. And And, 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 and cultivating, you know, when you're trying to cultivate faith, fear is not the place to do that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, you think faith is where seeds and soil of our souls is nurtured. And then fear is where the seeds and souls are uprooted. Um, And they just can't exist together. Um, uh, My husband planted some beautiful tulips uh, this winter, this fall. Um, And I think it's probably the weekend that we were together back in November. And um, I just couldn't wait for them to come up. And many seeds lay dormant for a long time. But in our anxiety we can cause great damage by digging up the seeds prematurely because we don't see the flowers coming up when we want them to appear. And how important it is to be patient, um, to let God work. See, fear chokes out the faith and the flourishing, and um, and we need to replace that fear with faith. Yeah, that, that kind of takes me to that page 74 in, in my edition of For the Children's Sake, it says, um, the child should enjoy an atmosphere where life can be explored in a rich way. Little holy hedges are not what is wanted. Understanding the objective certainty of the truth of God gives an atmosphere that is free from fear. And mm-hmm. then, um, she talks about good, open, frank conversation, like, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and really, it's, if, we're gonna, if we're putting up what she calls little holy hedges, we're doing that from fear. We are. We are. Um, on one, page 103, she talks about, we tend to crash in where angels fear to tread. <laughs> we want to push along the work that belongs only to the Holy Spirit. And that goes back to letting, letting, um, getting out of the way and letting God speak directly to our children. Letting them hear god 's voice, how do we do that how do we How do we squelch? how do we how, that desire to just say the words ourselves I think it's I, it's dealing with that fear directly. you know I really struggled with this and my my husband knows it, my children know it there's no way you can hide it. Um, you know to try to hide it would be a fool's errand, right. Uh, there's There has to be a level of transparency, and just say right now, I am afraid for you, and I am parenting out of fear, and I need to trust God um, with you and and meditating on the love of God, perfect love cast out fear, and meditating on his love is uh, you know go back to john four that 's what I need to be doing. I need to be asking myself some hard questions um, uh, Susan Schaefer Macaulay uses the analogy of going to the beach, and I'm not even sure if this is uh, is the way to use it or not, but our children enjoy the beach in different ways. Some will dive straight into the surf and ride the waves, and others want to sit on the shore and play in the sand. And I, as a parent, need to be okay with where each child is. But I also need to be okay with where I am. I need to be enjoying God. I need yeah. to be resting in Him to do the work of my life and to do the work of my children. But first, I have to attend to my own soul. Uh, do I enjoy God? Or am I anxious all the time? Do I know how much He loves and enjoys me individually? I don't think I can enjoy His work and rest in His work in my children's lives until I can rest in that. Um, do I know that He delights in me? Did I know how much He delights in me? I don't. I can't delight in Him until I know He delights in me. Am I willing to rest and really dwell uh, in His love? Uh, if I if I am not. I'm not living at peace. Um, am I living at peace in his forgiveness and anticipation of his goodness? Or I, am I fearful of when um, what's going to come around the next corner? Um, am I thinking on what is true and not on what I am afraid of? Is my confidence in him alone? If it's not, um, I can't fake that. My children know that. So then, instead of a culture of faith, I am nurturing a culture of fear. Hmm. Oh, understanding um, on page 74, you just read that yeah. quote, you know, understanding the objective mm-hmm. certainty of the truth of God gives an atmosphere that is free from fear. So do I trust God and I rest in the knowledge of his loving and timely work? His time, not mine, in the life of my child. That's really hard. It's really difficult to do that. There's never a magic formula, she says on page 97 in the old edition. (laughs) Hmm. Um, Each child makes choices, both good and bad. The Holy Spirit works with each one of us. Okay, so so let me just jump right in here and ask you. Sure. Question. So, what do you do? What does a mother do who sees her child beginning to choose a path that is not what they hoped, what is not what they wanted to nurture their, their child toward, or that they just you know your imagination runs wild mm. and you know, and they think i didn't I didn't do it right i I didn't follow the formula. I didn't even know what the formula was <laughs> and oh, just talk to her for a moment <laughs> you know about uh, about the Holy Spirit working yeah, um if your child is open to listening to your words um, then speak but also be willing to be quiet and listen. Because many times working, if you're, if you are trusting God to work in the heart of your child, um, many times, you know, you and I have talked and the other doesn't need to say anything because we come to the answer as we're speaking, right? Yeah. As we're talking through it. And our children will do the same. Our conversations with our children, we we sometimes think that they have to be, everything has to be settled within a 30-minute conversation. The conversations with our children are for a lifetime. They're not 30-minute solutions. And so we speak when it's welcome, and we're quiet when it's not, and then our business is with God. Yep. And, and that's really hard. That's really hard. But our, our, our real work then in parenting our children, especially when they're junior high, high school, um, we can speak, but most of it happens on our knees in our bedrooms with the door closed, right? Yeah. And yeah. it is most of it is not about what's happening in our child because God already has that. God's got that. That is not my business, that's his. But it's the work that he's doing in my heart in the midst of that situation. So he's dealing with me. Right. And I I think that comes down partly to the idea that our children are really not little extensions of ourselves Mm -mm. and that they have a soul that is separate from us and that, that they don't owe us access to that. Right. And if they give it to us and open it up to us, then that's wonderful. But we don't get to go there. Yeah. Because of our fear, you know. We just have to wait. Sometimes there's waiting. There's always waiting. There's (laughs) There's always always waiting. waiting. That's right. That's where God does His best work is when we are waiting. Uh, I have a friend uh, who often uh, said, no shame, no glory. Mm-hmm. No shame, no yeah. glory. But often, when um, our children make choices that are contrary uh, to what we have taught them, we own that shame, and we waste so much time there because Christ has already taken care of that. Um, he is the one doing the work, and He is the one who will get the glory. Um, and I can rest in Him to do that. But it's hard, um, and and to. You know, our our children don't need perfect parents. You talked about we didn't do everything perfectly. Well, that's a given. We don't do do everything perfectly for sure. Um, We make loads of mistakes. And our children don't need perfect examples. They need human examples. They need fellow um, sheep who know how to go to the cross. And they need a parent who knows how to go there and wears down the path so it's easily found. They watch us do it on a daily basis. Um, what does she say on page 95? We all sin and it's discouraging. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's also what a an guilt understatement. trap. I know.
0: <laughs> it's also a guilt trap. Very o- yeah. early on, our children, and this is one uh, my oldest son, Jesse, he loves Romans 7. Hmm. Um, very early on, our child himself cries out with Paul: "The things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I do want to do, I don't." And we can all say that right there next to our child, right? Yeah. Um, and the child needs to know that his burdens too can roll off his back, like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. And so we have to we have to model that for them and create a safe place where repentance is practiced and modeled and embraced and have those hard conversations where we ask our children, how are we doing? Um, so, so you want a, a story? So when a, a child erringly decides to throw their sister's cat into the dryer just so they can get into the bathroom, <laughs> or when I think that raising my voice or losing my temper is the way to bring order in my home, um, that there's a habit of repentance on both sides. And a place for reconciliation for everyone, and and that's what a safe place is, right? It's right. it's not a place where that's expressed, you know, currently in a college where a person mm-hmm. can just go and be whoever they are, and well, I won't go there. But um, you know, a safe place is where you can can repent, and where you know other people are repenting, and that you're all repenting right. together. Yeah. Fellowship, yeah, um, authenticity uh, that in our relationship with God um, that they see where we turn for forgiveness, wisdom, safety, delight, and love, and they see us practicing, you know, what uh, is referred to in Lectio Divina as tentatio, pursuing God even in the midst of adversity in the hard places when our Faith is really tested. Um, We've walked that as a family where they can see us going to the beach, not just on a sunny day and enjoying the beach, even on a stormy day. Um, It's no longer just theory, but it's real. Right. Well, I, I think that our time is, is just got away on us. It's been like 50 minutes and I would like, we probably need to close this, but, um, one, one closing point that maybe you could elaborate on is, um, that as we talked earlier before the show, that relationship over rules. Hmm. Important. Can we just close off with that idea? Maybe do you want to elaborate on that for a moment? Right. And we've been talking um, around that, but I think that that's just a really good thing to say. Yes, um, that tr- that relationship where you have built trust, that you can speak to the heart of your child, um, and I think that is one of the, one of the things when let's say um, this problem that we had um, with the cat and the dryer. That would be a problem. <laughs> yeah. How would you handle the cat in the dryer with relationship over rules? Uh, and uh, so my son's desire was to get his turn in the shower, right? So this, we know this is later in time when they do actually like to take a shower um, when boys do want to take baths. Um, and they were on a, a tight schedule and uh the cat went into the dryer as a ploy and uh and my daughter acted in kind you know with screams and everything coming down the stairs to remove her cat from the dryer um then it would just be a heart to heart talk with that child we could we could impose a quick um and easy punishment that would bring about pain but not change mm-hmm. right yeah so um, what is that about faith, where he was at that point, and speaking to his heart? Do you feel in a panic um, about getting ready on time, and could he trust God with his time um, without hurting uh, relationships, which are forever, and asking questions, what— um, How could we look at this differently um, in context of you not only being a physical sibling of, you know, of your sisters, but also a spiritual sibling, um, that this is a daughter of God and you are a son of God. So how can you relate in faith with one another, um, that would be relationship over rules. Right. Um, that um, that that's transforming. And I thought, you know, when we talk about homeschooling and and faith, um, there's transformation that takes place because of the faith. And then there's um, but and it must be transformation before we can imitate, right? We cannot imitate what we do. What we have not been transformed to imitate, or equipped to imitate, um, to find that we. In humility, or both, in need of forgiveness, both in need of considering the other above ourselves. Whether it is allowing our brother to get in the bathroom, and you know, not being able to put on our mascara, yeah, <laughs> or taking uh, her best friend is now thrown into the dryer um, at the altar of bathroom time. That we have to consider one another above ourselves, and that we're We're both sheep. We're all sheep. I think of Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which is also Christ Jesus. Um, He, you know, he doesn't ask us to die to ourselves um, without setting the example to die to. Mm -hmm. And that definitely can enter the conversation. You know, um, Jesus is not asking you to do something that he did not himself do for you. Right. Well, thank you, Cindy. I think that this conversation has just been really helpful and enlightening and, um, full of, of wonderful wisdom. And thank you for sharing some of your own stories and, um, your own parenting struggles. And I know that, I know that it will be really helpful to, to the people listening. And so thank you for being on here with me today. And I want to, um, encourage listeners to to come back to episode three we will be talking about culture of service in our homes service to people in our family in kindness and then service outside of our homes how do we serve other people in our communities and so um again thank you cindy you're welcome, him, Karen. Karen. You loved it so much. And and it I, was a joy to be here. I Karen. just listen to you and think, this is why I love Cindy so much. <gasps> oh, I'm so, I'm so privileged to to have you as a oh. friend. Well, friends in adversity are a deep kindness of God.